So good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. Today, I have a special guest, Mr. Thorpe Bailey of the Green Carbon Nexus. So welcome to the show, Thor. Thank you for coming today. Thank you, Wendy. And um, so fellow Viking, have to bring that out. Love the name Thor personally. But um, you are with the Green Carbon Nexus Incorporated, and you focus on biomass and biochar. Could you please explain to the public what that means? Okay. Basically, biomass is anything organic, such as, as uh, trees, landscaping, uh, residue. Uh, it's all organic, and it's around, uh, you know, around everybody. All you know, it's agriculture, it's forestry, it's urban, uh, you know, urban parks and recreation, that type of thing. So, it's the byproduct of you know, uh, functioning in a community. And, you know, is it my understanding, am I correct in the understanding that a lot of this just goes to landfills? People take that agriculture waste, the forest trimmings, and just dump it into a landfill. Well, it's less in the landfill uh, than you would think. But yes, there there's diversion policies to divert it from landfill, but smaller, you know, trailer loads here and there ends okay. up in the landfill. But on a, on a commercial basis, it's being... Uh, literally composted and putting in larger and larger piles. Okay, yeah, I know there's a big initiative to do more composting, especially in, in city dwellings. Um, what is biochar? If you could explain the difference between biomass and biochar. Well, literally, if we keep it simple with using a tree as an example, is it's the, uh, uh, the carbon, uh, carbon fiber that's actually absorbed in the tree as it grows. Oh, yeah. And then as we process it through a uh, pyrolysis process, which is basically uh, cooking the uh, wood without oxygen, uh, what's left is the uh, carbon that was originally in the tree. So the, the theory is if the carbon's not in the atmosphere or in the tree or in the ground, uh, it's, it's one of those three places. So what would you use biochar for? after it's made well unfortunately uh it's generally being commodity or the the state is started out and not only a state but the u.s and even international basis they're trying to commoditize it into a whole you know large-scale product that is valuable and in reality it's it's important but it's not valuable that's good to know, actually, because money does run everything, unfortunately. Um, could you just quickly tell us your company, Green Carbon Nexus, what are they and what are they doing? Well, the condensed version is Green Carbon Nexus has been evolving since uh, actually we incorporated in 2004 in Fresno with a group of agribusiness farmers and growers and uh, engineers uh, over a period of years, we developed, at least got close to developing several projects, um, such as an, a cogeneration plant for an ethanol plant down there and other things, okay. utilizing or recycling the biomass as the feedstock. But feed for, go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, I was going to say the, uh, for, for economic reasons and timing and a lot of other ver uh, variables that we didn't have control of, is we got very close to developing a project and spent quite a bit of our own our own partners capital and and a lot of time um, 
putting together projects on the front end that have basically um, we ended up having to just walk away from because the economics and the the um, the economics killed the deal. You know, I, I can understand that because in 2004, that was very proactive what you guys were doing. Not a right. lot of people were really focused on biomass or biochar or even agriculture. I mean, when people talk about renewable energy, they focused on electric, solar, wind, things like that. And a lot of people nowadays are recognizing the importance of agriculture and properly disposing of waste and properly disposing of biomass. Um, when you and I talked briefly, there is a concept that your company is working on called the Biomass Mitigation Fund. Could you tell us um, as simply as possible, because you sent me a lot of data and there's a lot of chemistry in there and a lot of science, what is the fund and um, what are you planning on doing with it? That's a unique question with a unique answer. It's basically <laughs> boiling down to the core concept is it's actually risk capital okay. for seed money to develop front end projects and bypass the grant process. I really like that idea because that, you know, with all these infrastructure deals going down and everyone investing in ESG, private equity firms are looking for money to do impact investing, which right. is huge right now because everybody wants to start focusing on in investing in something that matters, investing in something that's changing the world and not harming it. Right. Kind of a silly, kind of funny that we're thinking about this only now when we should have thought about it a couple hundred years ago, but hey, better late to the game than not. Um, what do you guys plan on doing? Because um, seed money and an impact, do you plan on holding seminars? Or do you plan on, um, I mean, networking is huge, yes. <clears throat> what are your plans to get this thing going? Okay, to back up from the original question about who is Green Carbon Nexus, yeah. is over the years, it's an accumulation of a handful of, uh, well, when I say handful, probably 10 to 15 partners or associates that um, that are willing to contribute knowledge and time, I guess, with the knowledge um, to help create a new infrastructure with a younger generation. You know, I love the fact you brought up younger generation because I think it was our first conversation. You said you're doing a lot of this for your grandchildren. And many people don't think that far in advance. They don't think of the next generations. Well, and but it's not only me. They, that's where part, part of this government rhetoric is we've got to do this for our kids. Yes. And I'm, I guess I'm, and that's been the last 40 years that I've been involved with biomass is that's been a, a good goal and agenda. We're doing it for the future. But unfortunately, um, the economics, uh, we have a short term mentality and we, yeah. we've got to make money. Uh, this is where the state gets tangled up with good intentions, by the way. It's nothing, it's not, they just don't understand the liability of managing a pile of biomass because it's not inert it's you know live it's biology and everything that can go wrong with the feedstock pile will like it's down. <laughs> um, and then getting it out of the there's so much it's everywhere so therefore it must be easy to get and cheap and that's the it's quite reverse of that it's 180 degree of what is uh, assumed we have this surplus of biomass whether it's in the forest where the, where the, now the fires are taking care of a lot of it but it's well it's everywhere and it's easy to get um but there isn't a infrastructure support system 
uh, let's call it a type of franchise concept where um, at smaller scale you can process the wood. This is the this is the ultimate dividing. If there's there's only two paths, it's scaling up to improve volume and profits, or it's scaling down to accommodate the the real problem, which is the logistics. Um, I like the fact you mentioned wildfires. Um, I've done a lot of research on fires. I've written for some papers on fires. I've participated in a lot of groups on wildfires. And using, you know, our forests are catching on fire and it's not really the best thing to have happen. If we can reduce wildfire risk by getting the biomass out there and the biochar and using it alternatively, I don't see how anyone could argue against that. It just sounds like a perfect scenario to me. Well, and that's where the uh, logistics is everything. I mean, it's whether it's in the urban arena whether it's in the forest or agriculture, it's logistics and how to get access to the material. Um, yeah. the, um, so there is, and it's basically going back to the uh, Native American Indians, especially in California, yeah. uh, they, they had a solution when they left the foothills of the mountains to come down in the valley where it was warmer during the winter, they burned off uh, it systematically with a plan yeah. Um, you know, they, I don't know how they did it without iPhones to communicate, but they did. Smarter they, than us. <laughs> they off certain areas. So I think if there's any starting point that the state can focus on and, and be really productive is it in the, what they call WUI, which yeah. is Wildland Urban Interface. Yes. And that's where the city of Paradise, or community of Paradise technically, and these communities in the foothills, they're an ideal, uh, you know, need. It's not a case study, it's a need. And the need's yeah. been there for 20, 30 years. Absolutely. But the solutions haven't uh, kept up with the need. Well, it sounds like your solution is definitely at the forefront, and it has been for a while, and I think your timing right now is perfect for it to um, take off. Right. And so this is where, unfortunately, you can't get involved in this industry without somewhere between environmental, social engineering at all, meaning it's a, it's a very complicated issue, but yeah. the um, labor, it's labor intensive, especially on a smaller scale in like in lots and backyards and communities. Uh, the logging industry is well established. It'll take care of itself. There's not an issue with the logging industry. Yeah. Um, just they have access to the logs and they have theoretically markets for the logs, but it's the, the wildland urban interface that is a huge dilemma. Yes. And the, the biggest issue that back to uh, impact investing is your, why are you doing it? I guess the best answer I can come up with is it's the right thing to do. It and is. So, and that becomes then where the economics come into the picture is well, how do we make money doing the right thing? And the state is mandating we can't, we won't subsidize uh, something that's not sustainable. Oh, interesting. That's I the dilemma. Okay, it, it it's been they've been working on as long as I've been involved in the industry, literally forty years, uh -huh. starting in nineteen eighty one when the oil energy crisis, and so um, for forty years we. The state can only 
support sustainable programs. And here we are today and there's absolutely nothing that's sustainable. No. Well, we're getting there. We're slowly getting there. We're, well, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there in, in rhetoric. And that's where I think our, when I say I, back to our uh, green carbon nexus, I've decided that my associates are cheerleaders, allies. They're available as, you know, case studies or testimonials, but they're not really involved. We're older. And, and I'm uh, literally, I'm 74, going on 75. And it's time for the younger generation to figure out what they have to do to make a difference. And I think what I'm trying to do with Green Carbon Nexus as a really more of a marketing public relations education group based on 40 years of history is come up with, okay, the best thing our group can offer you is what not to do. Yeah. And the education, and then, on, yeah. yeah, you guys do a lot of educational outreach as well, which is wonderful. Right. No, I think that's great. I mean, personally, just going back to the wildfire issue, what we saw in Colorado this past weekend should not have happened. So right. we are definitely in a dire straits situation where we need to reduce the biomass, reduce the wildfire risk, education, outreach. Um, I'll let you close out on any words of wisdom you have for the younger generation out there. Um, let's see. Well, let's uh, team up and come up with new solutions. And I think if the if the younger generation stays focused on grassroots solutions, uh, it'll grow from there. I love the fact you said team up because none of this gets done without collaboration and everybody working together. Right. And, I have, uh, and I'm working with a, a really handful of younger motivated, very capable individuals that are getting involved. And hopefully we can start working uh, again, build on that platform. But this is a, this is a, a statewide issue. And, you know, five or six individuals isn't even a, what we intend to do is try and put together some type of franchise program. Oh, that's brilliant. That's a really good idea because then everybody can take control of their own franchise. Right. And we help on the front end establish, and this is where the mitigation fund concept comes in. If, if you were to ask, what would you do with it? The first thing we have to do, whether it's one group or two groups or one person is we've got to go out in advance and buy a block of liability insurance. It's always back to the insurance, no matter how far I try to get away from insurance. <laughs> That's the end of the day. That's where we're either yeah. going to pay upfront or after the fact. Yeah, and I'd rather and, do mitigation than responsive actions. You know, I'll go so far as to say my general observation after watching this industry for 40 years is there's a lot of money being made to solve the problem after the disaster. Not oh, yeah. No, so and that's that's uh, that that's the crossroads. Do we do it after or before? It's got to be before. And I've been preaching to the choir as well as you have. I've only been doing it for about three or four years. You've been doing it for 40. We need to get ahead of the problem and not just respond to the problem. And that's just not, it's not just the biomass issue. It's everything with respect to sustainability and um, climate change. We need to start getting ahead of our problems. We, we, can't, we have to stop responding. And you just delivered the message to the new generation. Get ahead of the problem? Yeah. Yes. I love this. So guys, please check out Green Carbon Nexus. Check out Thor Bailey. What they're doing is a great job and um, 
jump on board, go with them, use them for education outreach, impact investing in the mitigation fund. It's all brilliant work that you guys are doing. So okay, thanks, Wendy. Appreciate your interest. Absolutely. You guys take care and we will see you.